Hey, it's Sean Fennessy, one of the hosts of the Prestige TV podcast. HBO's Barry is back for a fourth and final season. And that means I'll be back recapping the show with co-creator and star Bill Hader to dive deep on the themes, scenes, and major moments in the series. Bill will provide insight into how every episode was made and why it's ending. New Prestige TV Barry recaps will go live every Sunday night when the episode ends. So make sure you're subscribed to the Prestige TV podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer Gambling Show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler. Visit rg-help.com. Let's roll, baby. It's time for another wonderful edition of East Coast Bias. The boys are back by popular demand. It's Joe House. It's Raheem Palmer. It's John Jastrzemski. We have a couple of days of NBA playoff action under our belts. And listen, fellas, it goes without saying the darling so far of the NBA postseason, the most fascinating, the most captivating storyline that I can't wait to break down with you fellas is the start that the Sacramento Kings have gotten off to a 2-0 series lead over the Golden State Warriors. They had a fabulous win back and forth game on Saturday night. They overcome a very sluggish, lethargic start to game two. They lock it down on defense. They have some extracurriculars with Draymond Green. But here we are, Kings up, fellas, 2-0. House, this is bringing me back to the late 90s, early 2000s with Sacramento lighting that beam. I love it, baby. You know I love it, too. And I guess the thing that has been the biggest surprise to me thus far is the poise of the team that has the players that haven't played in all the playoff games. Like, and, and it's in uh, the, the secondary ca- game categories. Ha- the, 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 the Warriors with 22 turnovers last night. The Warriors with 29 fouls last night. The Warriors who have lost the third quarter in both of these games thus far. And it is a version of the Warriors that we've seen all season long. This is what the Warriors look like on the road for whatever reason. Still no real good explanation for why they um, play in this manner on the road. I I will uh, look forward to whatever the summer deconstruction is. At at some point, there will be some explanation. Wow, look at you already getting ahead of summer deconstruction house. Already going there, huh? Down to 2 now, you know, Now's a good time to bet on the Warriors, but having said all that, (laughs) look, this is the formula. It's a best case scenario for the Kings. Awesome to see Malik Monk. Awesome to see D-Fox just go out and, and, you know, put themselves on that national stage in this manner. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it as well. You know, you know, one of the things I always try to tell people is that the NBA is always about what's up and coming, what's new. I mean, a lot of times, you know, these great NBA franchises, they tend to go out like boxers. Um, You know, people don't believe it, but the end comes nearer than, you know, and faster than we think it does. I mean, so, you know, the Golden State Warriors, they won a championship last year. And they're taking on this Kings team that's just not afraid of them. I mean, they're running up and down the floor. You got Mike Brown saying straight up during the game, we need to run faster. Um, So, you know, the Golden State Warriors are really in trouble in this series. Here's to me, fellas, the biggest surprise from what I saw from Sacramento in game two. Game one, they won a Sacramento type of game that was up and down the court. It was a high scoring game. It played exactly the way. Let's be honest, the Kings played and had success all throughout the regular season. What impressed me in game two 
is the way this Sacramento team that has not been a darling playing defense all year. Raheem, this has not been a great Sacramento defensive team. They got after it. They played high-quality, high-caliber defense on the Golden State Warriors. You guys hit on the turnovers. Steph Curry looked completely out of his element. That is not the Steph Curry that we used to see, and that's not one of the 10 or 15 best players to ever play in the NBA with the way he looked in game two. And it's a bunch of different guys. I mean, how about Davion Mitchell? Davion Mitchell coming off the bench gave that team an enormous boost. Then you think about Herter and the experience he has. He had postseason run with the Atlanta Hawks a couple of years ago. He started hit some big shots in the second half. So Raheem, to me, what I'd be super encouraged about from a Sacramento standpoint, you won a game the way you expect to win a game. Then you also won a game in a different kind of way. I think that is the most encouraging thing they have going throughout the remainder of this series. Yeah, I think it's very encouraging. I mean, you look at that first game, they kind of stole that game. And, you know, that kind of gave me some hope for this Kings team going forward. And then the second game, I mean, you look at the fact that, you know, they finally got contributions from Herder. They got contributions from Sabonis. So they showed me that they could win ugly and they showed me that they could win, you know, when things are going more their way. Interestingly enough, Last night, they actually didn't perform that well in the half court. I mean, last night in the half court, they only scored 89 points per one to possessions. They really benefited from a ton of Golden State turnovers. And, you know, Golden State's defense was a lot better last night. It's just they kept turning the ball over. So um, the one thing I, I say is sustainable for, you know, the Kings is that they continue to dominate on the offensive glass and getting more shots than the Golden State Warriors. So I think as this series goes on, I think you have to make the Kings the favorite. I, I know Golden State are world beaters at home, but I mean, this could be the beginning of the end, to be honest with you. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up. Remember, I bet Sacramento to win game one. I had the Warriors to go win the series. And after what I saw in the first two games, not feeling great about that house, but I got to be honest, I'm okay with it because I'd love to see Sacramento just go and win this thing outright. You mentioned the idea of possibly getting in on the Golden State Warriors. The series price, and remember, Golden State was like almost a 3-1 to favorite before game one. I think they were in the 260-270 range, give or take. Well, right now, House, Sacramento up 2-0 in the series, minus 158 on Fandle. The Golden State Warriors to win the series are at plus 134. Does that pique your interest or are you not getting enough bang for your buck? Not enough bang for my buck, but, you know, sitting here at this moment, plus odds for the, for the Warriors is, is titillating, right? Never underestimate the heart of a champion. The single biggest challenge, I feel like, for the Warriors, they have to, if this is like, you know, Captain Obvious stuff right here, they have to win a game on the road. But the way for them to win a game on the road is one of these bench guys. Their problem all season long has been their bench. They had a, a certain uh, game plan and approach as the season started in terms of guys they thought they could rely on bench-wise. They just can't. And and Steve Kerr has six guys that he trusts. Uh, and it's, it's the six guys that were the most important guys in last year's run to the title. But if Jordan Poole plays like this, they can't win. They can't win with Jordan Poole shooting one for seven or whatever he did and minus on, on plus minus every night. They can't win if, if uh, Kaminga continues to be, you know, kind of uh, schizophrenic. And they, they can't win with DiVincenzo not coming in and, and knocking down plus side on the three-point range. They, they just can't beat this Kings team with all the firepower that they have. So this is where the richness of the series really comes in. This, this, we're, we're having a lot of firsts with this Warriors team. This group has never law gone down 0-2 in a series since, since they've been together. In fact, the last time the Warriors were down 0-2 in a series was back in 2007. Baron so, Davis. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. That's right. So, you know, we, we, we have to see that, that championship DNA out of this squad. Now, I fully expect them to roll in, in game three at home. They'll, they'll, they'll get that downhill. Uh, movement that they they always do is they'll go out and, and dominate a third quarter. That's one I'm looking forward to is them at home with the, that third quarter. But um, you know they got to go back to Sacramento and win one of those games. And if they don't, they they out. 
I'm not going to lie to you. I don't have too much interest in playing the Warriors at this point. I just think, you know, we're basing what we saw from the Warriors based on the fact that they have this championship pedigree. But it's it appears that, you know, the fact that they spent half the year chasing these two timelines, trying to build the younger generation with James Wiseman and, and, and Moody and Kaminga. Meanwhile, you only have one Steph Curry. And, you know, Draymond Green, you know, he he has he appears to be a shell of himself offensively. You know, Klay Thompson is playing well. It wouldn't surprise me if the Kings actually got one on the roll. And, you know, you look at this line for, you know, game three. The Warriors are already all the way up to seven point favorites on FanDuel right now. I think it's and overpriced. I, just, I agree with you, Raheem. Overpriced, 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 overpriced. Is that where you're going? Yeah, I can't get to that number. I actually make this around five. So, you know, I mean, it's around four or five if you ask me. So I just think at seven, I just think the Warriors are kind of just being overpriced at this point. So um, I, I just, I'm just not buying into this team right now. And one thing we have to remember, fellas, no matter what ends up happening in these two games in Golden State, the Warrior number on the road, Raheem, covering numbers this year, is so horrendous. It, 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 like, I knew it was bad, but I saw a couple of numbers like right after game two that a few folks put up on Twitter. And I was like, holy smokes, it's worse than I thought. But you know what? I guess it makes sense. They're a team with pedigree. They're the defending NBA champs. You're not getting discounted rates with the Warriors playing on the road. And it, you consider how bad they have been on the road. Ugly stuff, dude, across the board. And that is something they have to do. Forget about if they're going to win this series, if they're going to go and make a deep run in the postseason and turn this baby around, they have got to show you at some point, fellas, that they can win and win somewhat consistently away from their own building. Because let's be real, they're going to be in a position where they don't have home court in a good chunk of these series unless they play a certain team. That's it. I mean, that's, that's, you know, very, very enticing proposition for them. Do you know the one thing I will suggest? Because even though I'm not that high on the Warriors and I think they legitimately can lose this series, um, the Golden State Warriors are plus 500 to win the West right now. If they were, if you think they're going to win this series, I think it's worth taking a flyer on them at that price because they will have home court against, you know, potentially the Los Angeles Lakers should the Los Angeles Lakers make it throughout that series. We all know the injury to John Morant. Um, it appears to be serious that Memphis Grizzlies team is banged up, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm concerned for the mere fact that the non-Steph Curry minutes are just a huge problem for the Warriors. And I think as this series goes on, it's going to weigh on them more and more. And Steve Kerr hasn't shown that he's willing to play Steph Curry 45 minutes a game or 42 minutes a game in this, this early series. Plus 1,200 for the Golden State Warriors to win the NBA title if that is something that suits your fancy on FanDuel. Uh, I have to be honest, not interested. And that's telling coming from me. I'll be rooting hard for the Sacramento Kings over the next couple of games. And real quick, it seems like we have a split decision from the two of you on your lean for game three on Thursday night. House, it seems like you'll be playing the Warriors in some capacity. Is that fair? Yeah, I'll probably like just do a a parlay. I've been enjoying thus far early in the playoffs playing a single player prop and matching that up with a money line. Um, So I'll probably play the the Warriors money line and maybe something like Klay Thompson points, rebounds and assists. Uh, He he hit the over last night on that. I played it last night. I I thought the Warriors were going to win. It was like two to one odd. So that's probably the way I'll play it. I don't want to mess with the points because I'm afraid of what my brain remembers uh, long history, long memory in terms of the Warriors at home and that crowd gets going. And not, it's not disrespectful to the Kings for that Warriors team to, to just, I could just see a double-digit win for the Warriors. Um, and and that, that would be my concern. That's all. And Raheem, I got to assume the public and a lot of the bets will be coming in on Golden State in Game 3. Like, I, I fully expect that the books are going to need Sacramento to cover that number, right? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, the one angle that, you know, a lot of people have been playing the last five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years is that this team's down 0-2 angle. And and it's already been priced out of the market. What you would typically see is that, you know, the 
because teams tend to come out really hot in that first half, knowing that they're desperate to tie the series, you tend to see the full game in the first half price the same. So um, the first half numbers aren't out on FanDuel yet, but you'll likely see the Kings seven-point underdogs in the first half of game three. And I'm going to be honest with you. I might find myself on the Kings there. The one thing about the Kings that you have to recognize is that they are the only team in the Western Conference with a winning record on the road. They are 25 and 16. So um, for one of these road games, I do want to find myself on the Kings, whether it's the first half or the full game. Fellas, when we come back, there's a team in the Western Conference starting to smell it a little bit. I think it's fair to say that one of the top seeds on the ropes getting ready for game two. Uh, are the Los Angeles Lakers live, not just to win this series, are they live for a deep playoff run? That's coming up next. All right, boys, I was all over the Lakers in game one. I think you guys know this. I'm all over the Lakers in this series. I have them to win it outright. I have minus one and a half games. And after what I saw house in game one, Hachimura was unbelievable. Austin Reeves was unbelievable. The Lakers won a playoff game on the road where LeBron James was not at his very best, where it felt like LeBron James was A-OK with the idea, and who could blame him with the way Reeves was playing, with the way Hachimura was playing, to say, you know what? I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to let my boys go to work, and we're going to find a way to win a playoff game here. I think the Lakers are perfectly positioned with the Moran injury, with the lack of size for the Memphis Grizzlies, with stealing game one of this series on the road. I think the Lakers are set up to go and win this series, not just win it, House. I think they're going to win it comfortably. You know that that on this very show, I, I express my regrets that this matchup fell into, into the way that, that it did because this Grizzlies team is just such a bad matchup for this particular iteration of the Lakers. And we got the full experience of this Lakers team like post-All-Star break, right? We got it all. We got guys that, that you know, weren't on the roster out there doing stuff. We got uh, the the uh, obligatory Anthony Davis injury scare. We got that out of the way. Um, but we just got the veteran team, and, and they were able to play. I'm not going to call it a full-out version of bully ball, but when they out-rebounded uh, Memphis on the offensive end, the offensive rebounds for the Lakers, I think it was like 17 to 11, something crazy like that. That's just, you know, that that's a, a recipe for disaster for, for Memphis is giving this Lakers team extra chances. And the thing with this roster is it doesn't, congratulations to Rui Hachimura. Uh, you know, it's the best game of his entire basketball life. And he did it on national stage. Good job by you, Rui. Um, but the Lakers, have another two or three guys that could step up in that role. Like it, they don't, they don't have to count on Rui doing it again. He he won't do it again. I, I've been watching this dude for three and a half years. He ain't going to do it again, but they have plenty of, of ways to, to, to beat this Memphis team. Job being out obviously is a tremendous bummer. The real interesting thing is, is we won't get too far ahead of ourselves. We're only a little bit into this, this series, but man, the next round really set, sets up to be, uh, enticing potentially. You know, the interesting thing is that, you know, right here on FanDuel TV, Shams actually just announced that John ja Morant doesn't have any fractures, nor is his hand broken. So um, his status st- is still up in the air for game two, but they say it's believed to be a, a significant pain tolerance in- injury. Um, And we all know this is the playoffs. You know, these guys are as tough as they come. So I do think it's a possibility that we see John Morant later on in this series. I mean, it remains to be seen if he's going to play game two, but I think we'll see him at some point. Now, the one thing I will say is that the loss of Steven Adams and the loss of Brandon Clark has really changed the dynamics of the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, This is a team that was, you know, first in offensive rebound rate. This far in the season, in the series, you know, the Lakers actually dominated on the glass. They had a 35% offensive rebound rate compared to the Grizzlies at 17%. So um, 
it just feels like the Lakers have more paths to win this series. I mean, Anthony Davis was absolutely dominant. I mean, he absolutely dominated the defensive player of the year in Jaron Jackson Jr. We all know how he likes to get into foul trouble. We all know how the Grizzlies struggle in the half court in terms of scoring. So I, I think the Lakers obviously have the edge, but um, I don't know if I necessarily want to bet them at this point. All right, Raheem. I know you like Memphis at the beginning of this series, and obviously situations have changed. Morant being hurt, that's a its a major game changer, and it was obvious and apparent the lack of those two bigs going and trying to match up against Davis is just all sorts of problematic. I give you the opportunity, bro, and I need a lot of these when I'm on the golf course. I'm giving you a mulligan. I'm giving you a mulligan on this series. Are you taking it? If J.J. offers you a freebie with the Los Angeles Lakers, are you not willing to to go that far after just one game? I am willing to go that far. And I think the big reason why is because I just do believe that the, the Lakers have so many paths to win this series. Now, the one thing I do find interesting is that the Grizzlies are only one point dogs in game two, given everything we know about this series thus far. Um, so it does it does feel like the Lakers kind of played over their head offensively in that first that first game. But I mean, the Grizzlies have been abysmal on the road. So the Lakers still in one that really hurts the Grizzlies chances of winning this series. So um, yeah, I'm definitely going to take it. Like I get me out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the funny thing dream that you just mentioned th th this game, you know, we, as, as we size up how it went down, it was a 50, 50 game all the way until the last two minutes. And we were reminded of a thing that we have been skeptical about all season long with this Grizzlies team, which is execution in the fourth quarter in the half court. John Morant got hurt as, as a result of, you know, their their inability to have, he, he, he tried a, a super athletic superhero kind of drive, took off way too early. This, like we kind of been watching that version of, of Jaw and that Memphis Grizzlies half court, fourth quarter offense all season. I wish he didn't get hurt. I'm bummed that he got hurt, but like, that's what they do. They go crashing into, into to guys. And you know, the, the Lakers executed in the, in the last two and a half minutes. It was a 50, 50 game until the last two and a half minutes, but that's, that's winning time. And the Lakers, you know, took off and that was it. So I, I don't, how is that going to change JJ? That's the thing about this, that, that I have a hard time getting my head around. What's going to change for the Grizzlies in the half court offense? Very interesting point with the idea that this line has shifted from what it was in game one to what you're now getting in game two where the Los Angeles Lakers are actually favored. I would be careful with game two here in this series because I think you're going to have a very ticked off and a very desperate Memphis team against the Laker team that, let's be honest, did their job in the first two games of this series. Like, when, when I'm thinking about playing game two, I don't have a great feel from a Laker perspective on game two. I don't know if they're going to play as well as they did offensively. They may feel like, hey, we got our job done. We get back home. We take care of business in game three and game four. And then we could kind of set up this series. It's early, Raheem. So obviously, you know, you're thinking about, all right, the Lakers, rest of the series, yes, they're set up. But from a game two spot, I think the spot does scream Memphis. Is that crazy? I don't think so, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the number kind of points it that way. It's just from a, from your basketball reasons, it's very hard to find basketball reasons how the Memphis Grizzlies win this game. But when you look at the number standpoint, this line being, you know, just plus one for the Grizzlies at home, this was the, you know, the best home record in the NBA this season. Before that loss, they were 35 and six. So, you know, that says a lot. But if you could find some basketball reasons to back Memphis, be my guest because I can't find them right now. <laughs> well, and minus 320, House. The Lakers are minus 320 to win this series. You want to talk about a shift Oof. in the odds, not just from game to game, but for the entire complexion of the series. House, we got them at plus money on Sunday, for goodness sake. I sakes. know, I know. Well, they they priced in a diminished jaw, which which makes sense. And, you know, the 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 point that you guys are making is the right one, which is um, the Lakers did their, their job. They won one of the two games on the road. The one thing that I will say um, in terms of basketball reasons 
Uh, and this is something that that Memphis can get going. You need Desmond Bain and Luke Kennard to come out and just go lights out f- from three, and and they can do it. That's why the Grizzlies are thirty five and, and six at home. They neither one of them had great shooting nights uh, the other night. Um, if if they get you know rolling with the threes, the thing that I was most impressed by honestly was Jaron Jackson being up to it. He was ready for it. I'm glad to see him on that stage, and then he validated with the Defensive Player of the Year. Let's put Jaron Jackson, let's put some respect on that man's name. Yeah, I think you definitely have to do that. You know, one thing I will say about that game is that, you know, the Grizzlies look to be in control. Um, They started to take control of that game in the second quarter. And, you know, throughout the third quarter, it felt like they were a couple of possessions from pushing this thing out of hand, but their offense just couldn't get going. I think, you know, if they could force some turnovers... I think they have a shot. I think that's what what it really comes down to. If the Lakers are turning the ball over, and LeBron had some really rough ones in that first half, and he ended up with five turnovers. But if they if they can if they turn the ball over and they get into transition, you know, this is a team that can kind of overwhelm you at home. But I mean, me personally, I just I'm not gonna have a play on this one, fellas. I know you might have missed the number on the Los Angeles Lakers, but I think it's worth mentioning for our friends here at FanDuel TV. They are still 16 to 1 to win the NBA title. 16 to 1. That number has come down, but all of a sudden now, House, you see a viable path potentially for the Los Angeles Lakers to go maybe on a deep Western Conference playoff run. 16 to 1. Does that entire I know aren't you invested or you never got invested? I can't keep I, track. I, I have the Lakers to win the Western Conference, and I caught it at, at, at ten to one. Nice, um, good number. As they started doing that that roster building, sixteen to one to win the NBA title. It's a it's a bet on health, and I'm not going to bet on on Anthony Davis's or or LeBron James' health. I'm just not not at that price. Thirty to one, I might be willing to do it. Sixteen Raheem, to one. That number coming down though, I think it tells you something though, doesn't it? Um, I think it tells you that the Lakers are one of the most public teams in the world. <laughs> <laughs> they are, but listen, it was 30 to 1 a week ago. You know what I'm saying? So, like, all of a sudden now, eh, eh, just saying. Um, I mean, do you feel like the Lakers have greater than a 5% chance of winning an NBA title? I think you could sell me on yes, quite frankly. Mm. I think you could. I mean, listen, I think the, the, when we're talking about the champion, assuming we have a healthy honest, or the Celtics. Like, those are the two big dogs, right? Like, I, I think we all would agree Boston, Milwaukee look like the teams, quote-unquote, to beat. In the West, why not, man? And if you get me there, okay. Uh, I'll take I'll take my chances if they're in the NBA Finals with a 16-1 ticket. I can work with that, Raheem. I mean, it, it's very interesting. I mean, you know, 538 has them with a 6% chance. There so, you go. All right. So the nerds say greater than 5%. I trust the nerds. Yeah. There you go. So, I mean, it's a little small edge. Um, but, I mean, of course, you know, you're looking almost like at a a, a, a 14 parlay, basically. They have to go. You have to win this series. They have to beat the winner out of Kings Warriors. Um, and a lot of people, you know, were trying to tank to play the the Sacramento Kings, and they're, they're proving to be no slouch. Um, and then they obviously would have to play the winner out of what we believe to be, you know, Nuggets versus Suns. I mean, of course, that series remains to be seen. And then they they still have to beat the winner out of the East. So um, the price isn't high enough for me yet. I, I'm with House on this one. See, I feel like I missed the boat, but I might take a dabble. I might try to add to the portfolio, if you will. It's an enticing number. That's all I'm going to say, folks, on FanDuel TV, Ringer Gambling Show. It's an enticing number. All right, we'll get to the Eastern Conference Series. And I can't believe, listen, we love the podfather. He is an innovator. He is a creator. He is, we love the man. I can't believe he actually thought the Nets had a chance in this series. We'll get to that. That's coming up next. So we love Bill Simmons. He's a wonderful human being. He, he's responsible for the three of us coming together. He joined us on the podcast. But it's always fun when you have a little expense at the Podfather's Domain house. And he came on last week and was pretty confident in the Brooklyn Nets. And I wasn't buying it. I, I just I wasn't buying it. They had a good first half against Philly. Raheem, I know you were very heated on Twitter when it comes to your Philadelphia 76ers. House, are you giving the Nets more in a game in this series? I don't think so. This has five-game series written all over it, if that. 
Of course, of course. That's exactly right. I mean, this is it's a sub 500 team. They're not even as good, this Nets team, as the, the play-in teams. They had the benefit of grabbing the sixth seed because of two things. Because in the first place, uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving staked them to a, you know, a 10-12 game above 500 record. Uh, and but but after the trade, they were sub 500. But the other thing that happened is they beat the garbage heat in one game. And that had the effect. They beat the heat in Miami. That had the effect of them preserving and saving their position at that six seed. But they're, they're, it's a nothing team. I, I mean, it, it's fun. It's cool. Good for them. Uh, they they at least came up with a game plan that's going to that, that makes sense uh, against Philly. You know, in in, in 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 game two, they at least, you know, figured out double. Uh, Embiid, uh, trap, rotate, and you know, they, they then try and make as many threes as you can. That's the only way they have any chance whatsoever. But DFS and Royce O'Neill shot shot four fifteen from three combined for five of twenty from the field. That's who they are. They're going to lose the series. They're going to probably make one game. They'll they'll shoot around you know forty five percent from three in one of these games. That's how they'll snatch one, and then that'll be it. That'll be the series. One two three Cancun for the Nets. Yeah. Um... Look, I, I think a lot of Bill's logic had to do with the fact that James Harden is completely struggling since, you know, the Chicago game where he hurt his Achilles. And, you know, that was sound lot logic. I mean, when you look at the fact that James Harden, I mean, what did he do last night? James Harden was three of 13 with five turnovers. Awful. I mean, he's Awful. been absolutely abysmal. I mean, he's eight points. I mean, the Sixers aren't going to do anything if that's the case. And, you know, the one thing I'll say about the Brooklyn Nets is they had the ability to shoot the three. Um, and you saw in that first half, I mean, they had control of that game before, you know, the Sixers' talent just kind of overwhelmed them. So I, I wasn't that mad at the pick, but I didn't necessarily agree with it. But I can understand why Bill said what he said in terms of the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, and listen, Raheem, you, my friend, you went mm-hmm. through the wide-ranging emotions of watching an NBA playoff game and being able to dissect it, and I didn't have an opportunity to text it all last night. I was watching like 10 zillion things. But watching your Twitter timeline and how angry you <laughs> were at the end of the first half, and then all of a sudden, at the end of the game, my boy was singing a much different tune. I, I, I enjoyed that, Raheem. It was like, it was the opportunity for me to ride the roller coaster with you, to hit the lowest of lows and then hit the highest of highs. You know what I mean, dude? And it was fun because, you know, uh, Twitter got on me pretty heavily. You know, everybody knows the Philadelphia 76ers have a, a a crazy fan base. Everybody in Philadelphia is so passionate. So you had people reading those tweets and saying, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's t- talking about. And I'm just like, look, I'm just being a frustrated fan for the time being. You know, this team has championship aspirations. And as much as we love Joel Embiid, as much as we love James Harden, we can't have our stars in Joel Embiid having eight turnovers and five turnovers from, from Harden. That can't happen if we want to beat the Boston Celtics, who we could play in the next round. I kind of look at this as this, you know, the a pop quiz or a preliminary test um, for the Boston Celtics because, you know, in some ways, the Brooklyn Nets are built very similar to the Boston Celtics. They have a ton of wings. And if we can't handle the Brooklyn Nets wings and, and put them away convincingly, how are we going to beat the Celtics? So I was angry last night. House, four and a half right now is our opening number for Sixers, Nets, game three in Brooklyn. Might I add, I would say at least one third of the crowd, maybe even a little bit more will be making the trip up I-95. They'll go over the Verrazano Bridge. They'll go over the Gowanus. They'll find their way onto Atlantic Avenue. And I expect to see a lot of Philadelphia 76ers paraphernalia finding their way through Brooklyn for Game 3, Game 4, easy track. Um, Would you have any interest in playing Brooklyn plus the points in that spot? I'd rather just play them on the money line. I think this is is the one that that they'll win. The most intriguing thing to me, and and this is both, you know, in the present tense in terms of 76ers nets, but really looking forward, James Harden has not attempted a free throw yet. And this is a dude who's lived his whole career. All of his success in, in his career is at the free throw line. And the question I have is, is this deliberate that he's trying to preserve what, what little he has, he's still rehabilitating you know, there, there's a version of of your if you want to do glass half full with him, you say he's not pounding in here and and you know willing to undergo what what whatever 
kind of risk is associated with worsening the injury, the better play for him is to remain, you know, intact for the for the next round. And that's why we're not seeing him go to the free throw line. But I just thought, think it's very interesting and curious not to see any free throw attempts at all out of James Harden. Raheem, any interest in Nets plus four and a half? Um, I actually have no interest in Nets plus four and a half at all. I, I think, you know, one of my favorite things like I like to do is that when I see a superior team facing an inferior team, I tend to like to play that superior team on the road um, to just kind of close the door. Um, I, I have trouble believing that the Nets are going to get one. I mean, as, as poorly as the Sixers played in that first half last night, the Sixers still ended up winning by 12. So I might find myself on the Sixers in this matchup. Okay. Let's get to the other series here in the Eastern Conference, fellas. And it was a stunner from the cockroaches. That's what they are. I say it out of love, folks down in Miami. Because remember, my loyalties in football are with your city. But when it comes to your basketball team, you're like the cat with nine lives. You can't be killed. You find a way to just keep hanging on and hanging on. And Miami, with the injuries to Giannis, they go and win game one on the road. Milwaukee has had their struggles in game ones with Mike Budenholzer. We've seen that a lot over the last couple of years. And listen, obviously you need Giannis back and close to full strength to feel good about the Milwaukee Bucks. But House, from what you saw in game one from Miami, and you're going to have to do it now without Tyler Hero. That's a loss to that rotation. There's no question. Can you see Miami making this a lengthier series than maybe you would have thought before game number one? No, not even a little bit. Nothing that I saw out of Miami suggests to me anything sustainable. They're the same team that they've been all season long. The single biggest thing, and they caught the variance that we we were kind of wondering, like, you know, will the Nets catch some variance here? They shot 60% from three. Congratulations. It's their best three-point shooting performance of the entire season. If they could have been mediocre three-point shooters, they would have been the 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 Miami Heat of, you know, of, of yesteryear, an Eastern Conference potential finalist. But they're not that. They don't shoot the ball well, and they're not all of a sudden collective identity-wide uh, going to be a, a, a great three-point shooting team, especially not with that out, out their, uh, their, their most dynamic uh, combination player, both three-pointer and, and going in and hero. So I'm um, good. Good for them that they got their one game. It's a. It's about to be a four-one finisher, and then it will be really interesting to see what the Heat do in the offseason. You know, I I had the thought that the Miami Heat might be able to push this this Bucks team, and a big reason why is because for whatever reason, and I like I, I said this on Twitter the other day during the Mike Budenholzer era. The Bucs have had these weird offensive performances to where, you know, they just struggle to shoot the ball. And I think we saw that the other night. Um, these are normal things that we we saw from the Bucs in this era. And then you have Giannis Antetokounmpo get hurt. Now, it appears that he's going to be okay. But, you know, we got some news out of Miami that Tyler Harrell broke his hand. And I actually think that, you know, that's a huge loss for a Miami Heat team who doesn't have a lot of offensive firepower. Um, that means they're going to be probably forced to play Duncan Robinson. Um, you know, they, they just have all these guys to where, you know, outside of Jimmy Butler, who do you truly trust offensively to, you know, get their own shot? Um, you know, Max Struess, I mean, his ability to hit just three is incredible, but I, I just, I don't see it. I actually think that you can grab the Bucs. Um, at one point, it was like Bucks minus 230. It's all the way up to... to minus 290 to win this playoff series. I think that's extreme value on the Bucks, and I would take it even at this high price. Okay, Raheem, I'm going to throw this at you. Milwaukee minus one and a half games is plus money right now on FanDuel. The Bucks right now at minus one and a half games are plus 110. That means, hey, avoid a seventh game, win this series in six or less, and you're getting plus money. I would prefer to do that as opposed to late 290. Raheem, to be honest with you, I respect Miami. I know they're well coached. I can't see them forcing this to a seventh game. You want to tell me Miami forces this to a sixth game? You you could sell me on that. I don't see this series going seven games. I'm grabbing at it plus money. I like Milwaukee minus one and a half games. I'm snagging it. 
I'm not mad at it. The only thing that's kind of scares me is I, I want to see Giannis before I'm laying points on the series. Like, that's the only thing that I, I mean. I do think the Bucs can win this series even without Giannis. Um, I think they have a, enough talent with Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and the rest of the guys. But I need to see, if I'm going to lay a, a one and a half, I need to see how healthy Giannis is. JJ, I love that bet. That's that's one of the favorite bets that, that, that I've heard. I have no issue whatsoever. I think this Miami team, it's the team that lost to the Hawks. That's who this Miami team is. And I, I you know, we continue to give them respect. Um, you know, they, they, it, it, they're, they're just not a consistent team. They don't, uh, uh, you know, handle their business in a, in a professional way for whatever reason this season. So Bucks 4-2 feels great to me. I like the sound of that. Plus money, don't see a seventh game. Just got to keep the fingers crossed that Giannis is going to be A-OK for game two and beyond. All right, boys, we got one more series to get to. Minnesota, they got whooped every which way. The law of Gus couldn't even apply to Minnesota in Denver in game number one. I thought Gus Johnson doing game one was going to lead to a wacky, bizarre game that ended at like 1.45 in the morning East Coast time that was going to have all sorts of shenanigans. No, not from what we saw with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, That was a team that got whooped every which way. You could sense the cohesiveness of the Denver Nuggets. They looked like a team. Very comfortable, very confident playing alongside one another, getting back into the postseason, being the number one seed in the Western Conference. Are you expecting a very swift and easy series for Jokic and the boys? Yes, I am. Uh, I just think these two teams are on completely different classes. And then, you know, the loss of, of, of McDaniels was just huge for this Minnesota team. They don't really have any any wings that you can trust. And then, I mean, the vibes in Minnesota aren't great. I mean, no one likes Rudy Gobert. I don't like Rudy Gobert. I don't think anybody on this station right now likes Rudy Gobert. Um, I think Jokic, I mean, they... they and the Denver Nuggets, they kind of took off the second half of the season. But, I mean, it's time to get down to business. They're going to make quick and easy work and take these guys into the deep waters and drown them. Yeah, I would say the only scenario that I can see would be one win for the the T-Wolves at home because Anthony Edwards goes out and drops a 50-piece on them, right? We need we haven't really seen that Anthony Edwards in the playoffs. You know, he, he really announced his arrival last season in, in the playoffs. And we thought, oh, look at this guy, Minnesota team on the come up. I th- in fact, I think their, their win total, uh, if I'm not wrong, it was like supposed to be around 48 this upcoming season, right? It was right around there. I bet that under um, because I, I just had my doubts about their ability to get the chemistry figured out. Of course, Cat got hurt. Um, so that really undermined that total as well. But to the the the, the larger point with, with uh the, the T-Wolves, the Nuggets just are very comfortable. There's nothing that the T-Wolves can do to move the Nuggets out of their comfort zone. I mean, uh, 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 Murray and, and the Joker combined, they shot, they scored 34 points on, on, no, 37 points on 34 shots. Like, that's not very efficient, but they really weren't tested at any point. And, you know, Chris Finch is trying. He had Gobert and Cat out there at the same time. They just couldn't do anything. This Denver team is just too comfortable. Let them continue to be healthy. And let's just, you know, go ahead and let's get ready for the next round. House, would you have any interest? Denver minus two and a half games. I know that sounds crazy, but minus two and a half games. That means no game six, no game seven. Is it minus 142? Can I, you do not want to, you do not trust Denver enough to lay minus 142 juice is what you're telling me. No, because they, they, you made the point a little earlier, you know, they were up and down over that the second half of the season. I just, I'm not laying juice on, on a, on a four one. I'm not doing that. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily lay juice on a four one. Um, but I think if I can get a minus, you know, one and a half, two and a half, I'm, I'm not mad at that one. Um, you know, one thing I will say is that I, I think the Denver Nuggets continue to be undervalued. I mean, they're still they're plus 800 to win the NBA title. And there's a team in front of them at plus 550 that's down 0-1 in their postseason, like postseason series. And they may have to play them next. So to me. 
don't you go grab the odds on the Denver Nuggets to win the NBA title? Um, grab the odds on the Denver Nuggets to win the West. Uh, it's just it's just not making any sense to me. Listen, considering that's a preseason pick of mine, I don't hate hearing that, Raheem. Coming up, we'll get you ready for the Tuesday night games. And I got to tell my buddy, House, I was dialed into the golf on Sunday. I couldn't get enough of it. That's coming up. So we got three games of NBA action. We have my Knickerbockers without Josh Hort, more than likely, up 1-0 against Donovan Mitchell and the Cleveland Cavaliers. You have the Boston Celtics laying double digits against Quinn Snyder. Wonder if they're going to get Mike Bray on the sideline. Apparently, he's joining that coaching staff. How weird is that story? Hawks plus 10 and a half. And then you have the Suns down to one, laying eight and a half, even though there's the Scott Foster, Chris Paul, Narrative that's out there. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts here. So, Raheem, before we dive into these games, it's your time to shine. I'm going to give the floor to you immediately here, and then we'll have some fun with these games. It's 100 time, amigo. Take it away. Okay, we're going to go with the Boston Celtics. Atlanta Hawks over 229 and a half. I think that number may be up to 230 um, at this point. I still like it. I mean, game one of this series was played at a pace of 100 possessions. Outside of Warriors and Kings, this was the fastest paced series in the postseason. Now, you, when you're handicapping in the NBA playoffs, you want to look for what's sustainable, what's due for regression. And one thing that you notice from Celtics-Hawks game one is that both teams played well below expectation offensively. Um, after a 74-point first half from the Celtics, they scored just 38 points in the second half, and they finished with the offensive rating of 109 in their nine garbage time minutes. Celtics' com- offense completely collapsed. I mean, second half, they were just 15 of 43. That's 34%, and 4 for 17 from behind the arc. Um, they only shot just five free throws in the second half. Um, and I think a lot of this was a product of a non-competitive game, which kind of got out of hand early. Um, so I think you're going to see a little bit more sense of urgency from the Hawks. This should be a wire-to-wire game, whether the Celtics go up double digits or not. And you look at the Hawks, they really struggled offensively. They were just 5 of 29, 17% from behind the arc. I just feel like this is a game to where, you know, the Hawks perform so much under expectation. I mean, they were like 97 points per under possessions. They had an effective field goal percentage of 41%. That was in the zero percentile of all NBA games this year, according to Cleaning the Glass. So we're going to go over 229 and a half. I think that is up to 230 at this point, but um, the, the game one line was 232 and a half. And they moved this number down. I think it's an over adjustment. Um, th- these are the same two teams playing. So why should the line be two, three points lower? That's why you're seeing this number get steamed up over 230. Hawks versus Celtics. Take so <laughs> one play tonight. Uh, curious, Raheem. And I endorse it. I think we'll have an up and down game between those two teams. Why the direction of a total for the Tuesday games as opposed to choosing a side out of curiosity? Okay, so I was looking at the other two games. When it comes to Knicks versus Cavaliers, you know, that number opened at at four and a half. It got bet all the way up to five and a half. I think it's a little bit of an inflated number where it currently sits. I mean, there's some things that the the Knicks did really well um, that is sustainable, um, such as them, you know, the offensive rebounds. I think that's really sustainable. The fact that, you know, they're dominating the bench. I think they outscored the Cavaliers bench 37-14. The Cavaliers bench isn't going to get better. The Cavs should shoot better. Mobley should play better. You know, Levert. But I still think the Knicks have the edge in terms of their bench. So I don't want to lay an inflated number just because the Cavs lost the, the first game of the series. Now, when it comes to Clippers versus Suns, you know, this is a really tough one for me as well because I think, you know, the Clippers, to me, I think they have value at eight, plus eight and a half. Um, when you look at, you know, the Suns team, I talk about it all the time. They have a math problem. The Clippers, they took, you know, 12 to 15 more threes than the Suns in that Sunday Sunday game. And you have a Suns team, which is a perimeter-oriented team, but they live in the mid-range. And it's kind of hard to cover a big spread if the other team is, is taking and making more threes than you. Um, I do think the Suns win this game, but... At plus eight and a half, I don't like it. And I'm going to be honest with you. If Paul George was in this series, I would be picking the Clippers to win this series. 
How about that? And we know Raheem has had a soft spot for the Los Angeles Clippers all year. But listen, after what you saw in game one, I do think they're live in game two. Um, House, let's go to the Knicks-Cavs for a second. I was fully expecting myself to get back in on the Knicks. Uh, I took them in game one. I might have dabbled and played them on the money line in game one. Uh, This Josh Hart injury, though, is problematic because if we're talking about the edge the Knicks had from second and third opportunities, and we're talking about the edge the Knickerbockers had on the bench, if you take away that instant energy, I I don't know if you're going to get that same vibe out of the Knickerbockers. I don't know if you're going to see Cleveland play as poorly as they did outside of Mitchell from beyond the arc. This was a game where I was like, all right, hard plays. I like a lot of the things I saw from the Knicks. There's a good chance he's not going to play as we tape this here on Tuesday. I do not see that. I would be, let's, let's put it this way, House. I'd be stunned if the Knicks won this game tonight. Stunned. Yeah, the 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 variance should come for the Cavaliers from Garland. I mean, he, he, he barely touched the ball in the second half. He ended up with one assist for the whole game. And the other thing that's curious with the Cavs, and this is a Bickerstaff thing, what happened to Okoro? I know that he was one for six um, from the field, but 23 minutes, you can't give all those minutes to to Chetty Osmond. You can't have Chetty Osmond trying to guard Jalen Brunson at execution time in the fourth quarter. That's what Okoro is for. Now, the one of the questions we had coming in is what's the, the injury status? Like, if he was limited to 23 minutes, because they're managing minutes because he's not all the way healthy. That's an issue. That's something for the ca- the Cavs have to overcome. But I think the instinct is right to be careful here and and wary of, you know, investing I- in the Knicks. Uh, I think I'm going to stay away from this game altogether. Um, I just want to just sort of w- watch it and, and enjoy it. I Look, we had a very vigorous di- discussion and dialogue with the Podfather uh, on, on, on Friday about how this matchup, to, to, to me at least, is like a 50-50 kind of matchup and, and all the reasons why I thought it was it was a much closer to a toss-up than what the implied odds conveyed for the series price. It, that, that, all, that all bore out. I mean, this Knicks team is here for it. They are not afraid. And Brunson versus Mitchell is what I expect to see down the stretch in all these fourth quarters. And I think Brunson's right there with them. I do too. I do, too. And if there's somebody who needs to step up for the Knickerbockers tonight, I'm giving you two guys. R.J. Barrett, who is an absolute stiff in game one. He's got to be better if Hart's not going to play. And they need more out of Emmanuel quickly. I thought quickly would have more of a role in the fourth quarter. Didn't play much in the fourth quarter. They're going to go and win game two on the road. I think it's going to be the byproduct of the Knicks hitting a lot more shots from beyond the three-point arc. Raheem, I'm glad you mentioned that Clipper game, though. I'm on the Clippers tonight. I'm not betting the Knicks in game two. I'm going to let my rooting interest just take shape there. I am going to grab eight and a half points with the Clippers because I think that could be a tight Phoenix team. I think the Clippers are the sort of team that could muck it up with them a little bit. You mentioned the idea that the Clippers want to shoot threes. The Suns, on the other hand, don't want to go and shoot a whole lot of threes. Listen, I'll take, I've seen it right now as we sit here on FanDuel. Eight and a half points. Eight and a half points. I'm on the Clippers plus that number, dude. I mean, here's another caveat for that game. Guess who's officiating that game? It's a Foster game. I know that. It's a Foster game. Scott Foster is officiating tonight against the the Phoenix Suns. I mean, the Chris Paul's teams are 2-17 and straight up and 2-17 and against the spread when Foster is officiating his playoff games. Chris Paul has a 13-game losing streak when Scott Foster is officiating. I don't know how much that means or it's just, you know, fluke variants, but, you know, that that needs to be said. So um, well, I, I'd dream. be scared to lay it with. Let, let me ask you a question. Why is this number in the same neighborhood as what it was for the opener? The the Suns were set favored by seven and a half for the opener. I jumped in on the Clippers for that. I played their money line as well. I'm definitely getting on on the Clippers for, for, for this one. And the the biggest reason why, and maybe this is square thinking, but you 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 know help me sort it out. I don't trust this Suns team because they don't trust themselves. They don't know who they are. They you know uh, kudos to Ty Lue. He he came out with all kinds of of defensive creativity in the first half. And Kevin Durant started off zero for five. Like the the market and the public have this perception of the Suns being a perfectly cohesive, coherent 
team that makes sense. They're not that in any way, shape, or form, and and I, and we watched it. Like they're they're finding out how to play together. Why is this number so high? I don't understand why it's so high either. I think the Suns are being severely overvalued within the market. Um, and then you look at that first quarter. I mean, they they really struggled. I mean, they couldn't hit a shot in that first quarter. So, um, it almost felt like the Clippers should have put that game away early and they kind of let the Suns back in it. Um, you know, I think that's probably, I mean, that's probably the only reason why they kept the same number. Um, I didn't understand the number for game one. So I, I think you know, all of these Suns numbers are pretty jacked up right now. Like you said, they haven't played too much basketball together. So um, I'm struggling with it as well, but I'm personally going to stay away just because, you know, this is a market and obviously that number is there for a reason. There's probably some sharp people in the market who thinks that number should be where it is. I don't understand it, so I'm staying away. Way too overvalued. Way, way, way too overvalued. Uh, real quick, Cass. Any interest in playing Hawks Celtics? For me, I have zero. Absolutely no interest in playing it. I'll ride Raheem's total. I got no interest in playing this game. Not laying double digits. Can't do it. No, 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 no. I'll, I'm going to just do one of my player prop and Celts to win parlays just so I have a little action on it, something to root for. Uh, and I haven't even really, it'll probably be something like uh, JB uh, over three-pointer, something silly, you know, where I just uh, want to have a little taste on it. And it could be Trey Young unders. Maybe that's the way I'll play it because what I'm really interested in for the summer is where Trey Young is going to be playing basketball next season. So maybe I'll just gamble on it. Trey Young unders um, to keep that narrative um, spicy going into the offseason for the Hawks. Boys, that seems like a complete slate of Tuesday action. Raheem's 100, the over in Atlanta and Boston. We'll be rooting for that. I know I'll be rooting for the Clippers plus eight and a half and the hell with the points. I hope my logic is just totally off here. I hope the Knicks go and win the game outright. Just a little uh, homer perspective there, but I'm being fair and balanced. I'm not just giving you Knicks every single game here. I tell it like it is. I don't like the spot for them tonight. All right, couple of quick thoughts. First off, House, as we were watching all this basketball on Saturday and Sunday, I found myself mesmerized by the golf. The playoff between Fitzpatrick and Spieth, amazing. And how unflappable is Fitzpatrick, number one? And, and number two, could you feel the pain of Jordan Spieth when those putts are not dropping? I feel like that would be like me and you with some of those facial expressions. I couldn't believe some of those putts didn't drop, house man. Well, JJ, in in the first place, you are singing be a beautiful song to the PGA Tour because this is exactly what they hoped for. It's actually exceeded their their best hopes and expectations, I think, in terms of creating these events where they get most of the best players together uh, by offering these incredible purses, these elevated events. This is the week after the Masters, for Christ's sakes. Like, historically, that's a time for the whole golf industry to catch its collective breath. They have this nice tournament down at Hilton Head. All the guys are in, in, a, in a good mood, but really in an R&R &R kind of mode. We that, we that was not what this tournament was in any way, shape, or form. I mean, you look at that leaderboard going in into Sunday. It, it's you know many heavy hitters your, house. You, I mean, heavy top hitters twenty guys war. in the world. Absolutely, Scotty Scheffler was up there for a bit. John Rahm was like in the mix inside of the top twenty for a bit. You know, it, and and look, they they, they really leveraged a, a great opportunity into some compelling television. You are an NBA, a baseball, you know, the hockey players around the corner. And here you are watching the golf on a Sunday. So uh, good, great job by, by the tour. They're going to figure out their schedule so that a lot of the guys are really tired right now. And you're, we're not going to see a ton of the uh, very best players in the handful of weeks leading up to the PGA championship. But to your point, it was scintillating television. It was extraordinary golf. And, you know, Spieth with with those putts, he's on a little bit of a can't believe his bad luck kind of kind of vibe right now because he's had a couple of these tournaments kind of within within his reach. Now, the fact that he's around the bucket to me is the most important thing. If you're Jordan Spieth truther, if you're a glass half full with Jordan Spieth, you just want him around the bucket like this. But Matthew Fitzpatrick showed us, you know, that's validation of the class of player that he is after the U.S. Open win up in, in Boston last year, showing up the week after the Masters. He had a good Masters. He wasn't uh, exhausted by it, and he came out and validated 
that that he is he is that guy. He's a top ten player in the world, and he he executed. He hung on for dear life. I mean, he needed poor Jordan Spieth to miss a couple of those. But you know, we're we're here for the golf on FanDuel TV, JJ. Believe that. Oh, we sure are. And listen, a lot more money to be made over the next couple of weeks. Thirty seconds or less. We're not going to play like Patrick Cantlay. Raheem, will the Sacramento Kings get a game in the Bay Area? Yay or nay? I'm going to say yes. House? I'm going to say yes also. Wow. Look at you guys getting completely suckered in. I hope you're right about that. I'm going to go contrarian here. I get. I actually can't believe I'm saying I'm going contrarian because the Warriors are going to be favored in both of these games. I will say this series is 2-2 heading back. And guys... I think we got a seven-game classic on our hands with the Warriors and the Kings. I do believe the Warriors, even though I think they'll struggle a little bit in game three, I do think they will be heard from. Fabulous job by Joe House, by Raheem Palmer. Wargon Warrior, love you, buddy. Thank you to all on FanDuel TV. We're back Friday on Ringer Gambling Show with East Coast Bias. Boys are out. Be good, everybody.